and LGBT. Does anybody know what that stands for? <laughs> We're in the know. LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then what's the Q, uh, Jem? Bisexual, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I, yeah, either, either or. Um, I, all right, so this is the deal, guys. Um, this is not an easy message to preach because there is so many um, different views out there on Facebook. How many of your Facebooks blowing up about LGBT stuff? Right. Yeah, it was it happens. It happens so fast. Now, this is the deal. You or many of your friends uh, might support LGBT or gay marriage, either one. Okay, they're not the same thing. We could talk about that a little bit, but you might support uh, um, you might support it or you or you might not. But what I've noticed on Facebook and what I've noticed in people is that either way, on both sides, everyone has uh, very, very strong feelings. Um, so if you are in support of gay marriage and LGBT, um, then you think uh, uh, very strongly about that position and then and, and vice versa. So what my job to do uh, today is to tell you what the Bible says about it and, and talk about the arguments that are against what people are saying that the Bible says. Because this is really confusing because there are Christians out there who purportedly know the Bible and say that, no, LGBT is totally biblical. And so it's confusing, right? So for you guys that maybe haven't gone to Bible college or have a master's degree in Bible or theology or whatever, it's really confusing. You're like, okay, I don't even know what these guys are talking about. And so we're going to talk about that. And then at the end, we're going to talk about what our response is. And then at the very end, after um, at lunch or after lunch, Jem is going to do a, um, a diversity seminar. Correct, Jem? Yes. So what I would encourage you guys to do is grab your lunch and come up here and then and then uh, listen to Jem, and Jem is uh, wonderful. I love her. All right, so I want to start off with a story, okay? So uh, my best friend uh, was in London. He was, and the college group, a lot of them heard this, but th my best friend was in London, and he was, uh, he was working on his PhD, and he is uh, meeting with a PhD advisor in London. That's where she was, so he went there and met, her, met with her, uh, talked about his, his, his writing, and he was eating dinner at a pub that night, and he was by himself. He had no, no one to sit with, and there was three guys sitting next to him in the pub. And uh, he was overhearing, you know, eavesdropping, not intentionally, but he just kept hearing what they were saying, and he recognized that those, guy were, those guys were, were gay, right? They were, um, they were talking about homosexuality, and they were gay. And so he listens in, and he's like, hey, uh, I'm lonely. Can I sit with you guys? And so they're like, uh, sure. And so he scooches his table over, because I guess a little pub table, he scooches his table, and he sits with these three guys, and they start talking to him. And they're like, hey, what do you do for a living? And, and my friend's like, oh, I teach at a re religious university. And they're like, oh. They're like, I'm gay. Am I going to hell? That's what they said. They just stopped in the middle of it. I'm gay. Am I going to hell? And my friend looks at him. He's like, hey, uh, you don't even know me. Why would you want me to judge whether or not you're going to hell, you know, heaven or hell. He's like, I don't know about that, but I do know what Jesus has done in my life. Can I tell you my story? And so he starts to tell him 
what Jesus had done in his life, how he was, you know, abused growing up and beat up and by his dad and, and his mom was a lesbian and he, how he was uh, addicted to drugs and, and um, sleeping around and all this and how, and how he was looking for God in all those things, not God, but looking for satisfaction in all those things and found nothing and, and how God had changed his life. And these three, three, these three men like were leaning in, listening, and they were like, yeah, I, I want to go to church. Or I want to, I want to, I want to find out more about Jesus. I want to, I want to, you know, because they'd never ever heard the gospel presented in such a way, and it was just his testimony. And sometimes we forget, right, when we're talking about LGBT or these these positions, we forget that there's actual people involved. And and you know, I know people that support LGBT are like, that's all we're thinking about. We're just thinking about people. But according to the Bible, you're not. You're not really thinking about people. And it'll become clear in a second. But this is, the, this is the thing. This is a really sensitive subject. So if you go and you tweet what I say out of context, without a conversation, without a discussion, right, then it will call into question everything that we're, we're talking about here. It will add fire, right? If you go around taking the information that I tell you and you use it in an inappropriate way, it will cause fire, right? That's not the point of what we're doing here today. If you are in here and you're struggling with homosexuality or same-sex attraction, I want you to know that I am not against you, that I love you and that I want to help you. I want to work with you, want to go through this together so you do, you do not feel alone. I want our community to be the kind of people that surround people that struggle with same-sex attraction and help them come to the conclusion of what they need to do. Not that we're going to tell them. We cannot tell them what to, what to do, right? Because ultimately they have to live with this for the rest of their lives. Right? And so we'll talk about that uh, in, in, the, in the last part. Okay, so this is, this is why the Bible says, um, or this is why the church is against, a lot of the church is against LGBT. Let's look at this first scripture. It's Romans uh, 1, 24 through 32. Now, I know this is long, but I promise it's really interesting reading. Therefore, God gave them up into the, in the lust of their heart to impurity, to this dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, and he's left them to their dishonorable passions. He says you can go and do that. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, this is pretty confusing because it sounds like a pretty negative passage, correct? But this is the thing. God is not just talking about homosexuals here, right? In the, in the, in the, the highlighted verse, and 26 and 27, right? He gives an example of that sexual immorality, right? Sexual immorality meaning outside of the design of God, what God had created sex for. And then down here in verse 29, he starts talking about all these other attributes that people have. 
He is not talking about the homosexual. And I think a lot of people think when they read that, they think God is talking about the homosexual. He's not. He's talking about all those, right? Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. He was talking about the pe- certain peoples that turn away from God, even though they know the truth, right? And relish in their sin, in their lifestyle. These are unrepentant, unbroken men and women that do whatever they want to do. Stubborn. They do not give in to God and his word. Okay, so these, he's not talking about Christians here. Does that make sense? But in this case, he does talk about what is natural and what is unnatural. So what we can gather from this passage is that, is that there's a natural sexual order that God decrees. There's a natural order for sex, man with woman and woman with man. And there is a penalty for this. Death. Now, we'll talk about spiritual deaths. This is not a physical death. Just because you have sex with a man, if you are a man, it does not mean you will die physically. But there is a spiritual death. Just like there is a spiritual death for you if you do anything that separates from you from God. Right? It might not be that one single moment. Sin obviously kept us separate from God automatically, (coughs) just positionally-wise. Right? But living in sin constantly, I'll show you another verse in James 1, will constantly bring you closer and closer to spiritual death where you become numb to God, right? Uh, Leviticus 20, 10 through 18. Uh, I'm just going to read the the passage 13, uh, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall uh, surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And there's a ton of passage in here. It's all about sexual immorality, and the end result is they will be put to death, Right? This is in Leviticus. This is the Old Testament. This is when God is giving the Israelites the law. Right? Now, we don't follow a lot of the, um, the outcomes of old law, right? Because Jesus, Jesus is the new covenant. Right? That means what happens is when Jesus died on the cross, he changed the law for us. Now the result of our laws are no longer death or physical death, where we're in charge of putting someone to death. Does that make sense? So somebody, somebody will be like, well, the Old Testament Levitica, Levitical law no longer counts because you don't follow it. Like, we eat shellfish. Uh, we cut the sides of our, our, our temples, the hair on our temples. Like, you know, it says in the law not to do those kind of things. Right? We do those things. We eat rare steak. that has blood in it. Right? We might eat animals that are strangled. Who knows? You know, we, we do some of the things that, that, uh, that are in the law. So people are like, well, it's nullified. But the whole idea is... Because of Jesus, the law has changed, but it doesn't mean that the law in it, the morality in the law, has changed, right? Just because um, you, you, the consequence of the law is no longer we put you to death, which is great, I'm glad, um, it doesn't mean that lying with a man, if you are a man, is not wrong. You, get, you understand that? There's a moral law. God has set limits on it. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and, and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, fornicators. Now, you guys know what a fornicator is? A fornicator is someone that has sex outside of marriage, outside of their marriage partner. That's what a fornicator is. For murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators. So if you have this idea in your heart that it's okay to have sex with somebody that you're not married to just because you love them, you're a fornicator. And according to the Bible, you're, with, you're grouped in with murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers, and manslayers. For sodomites, that's homosexuals, right? For kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contra- contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, 
which was committed to my trust. So this is, this is the thing. What you're going to begin to notice is the things that you do, right, or the things that you might be okay with or our culture might be okay with starts to slip into the list of the same as homosexuality. Not the same as, like, you know, it's not the same act, but it starts to slip in where it starts to leading to death too. And finally, James 1, 14 through 15, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire is conceived, it gives, birth, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth to death. And that's kind of what I was talking about that passage. It's really oftentimes easy to think, well, I just had sex one time. Or I uh, am, uh, um, let's say I'm, you know, attracted to a guy, and I have sex with that guy. But if you continue on in the lifestyle, and any kind of lifestyle, any kind of sinful lifestyle, anything that the word says is unhealthy for you or out of order, it starts to lead to death. It says, it, your desires, and then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, right? So it's just in your head, and then when you start to dwell on it, you start to do it, right? Uh, in, um, in the news, you, you, you sometimes hear uh, interviews that they give with, with serial killers, and some of these serial killers uh, have been really interesting because they started with softcore porn. They looked at, like, Victoria's Secret bikini or underwear lingerie magazines, right? And then they, they, it started to build a desire, this deep desire in them to start looking at more. So they start looking at softcore porn. And if you know what softcore porn is, they don't really show much. They just show action, right? And then they start going to hardcore porn. And hardcore porn is, like, anything under the sun. And then, and then things like snuff films. You guys know what snuff films are? It's where um, the person gets murdered at the end. So they'll rape them and murder them in the end. And all of a sudden, that's not enough. And so then they start having sex with prostitutes. And then when they have sex with prostitutes, that's not enough. Because it starts to build and build and build. And then all of a sudden, they're abusing prostitutes. And then they're murdering prostitutes. And then they're eating prostitutes, right? Or, and then they're killing people. Like it's really interesting like, if you follow the psychology of some of these guys and what had happened and what they said it started with. And it's exactly this. It's like oftentimes in our life, we allow things in our life to kind of become, or desire become out of order, and then you get bigger and bigger and bigger until it brings forth death. So when we're talking about homosexuality here, right, and uh, to make it easier for you guys, let's talk about it in terms of lust. Because, you know, guys and girls, we lust after, you know, opposite, opposite sex if you are heterosexual, Right? If you allow that to blossom, then you start to fantasize about that person. If you don't nip that in the bud, then you start to pursue that person, right? And then it starts to turn into something else, right? So whenever you're talking about homosexuality, you can start to see this, um, the beginning of this journey that, that, they, that they begin to take when they, whenever they ha start having these desires. So this is the thing. The Bible is really, really clear. And I've read other books, that God, and the, uh, God, uh, God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, and he argues that the Bible says that it's okay, and homosexuality is okay. And what he does is he tries to redefine, uh, redefine um, can you go back to the last passage? He tries to re uh, redefine sodomites. He tries to redefine um, a man laying with a man and a woman laying with a woman. Because back in the day, and he, he looked at historic text, and he said, hey, what they were talking about were men that were overcome by their lust. They were heterosexual. They were overcome by their lust and had sex with men. And women who were heterosexual, overcome by their lust, had sex with women or animals. And as you can see in the passages before, it's just people that are overwhelmed with lust, right? But what he's saying, Matthew Vines is saying, he's a Christian. He loves Jesus, right? His family's a Christian. He goes to a good church, right? But he is same-sex attraction. He's a virgin, and he is struggling 
and so he's, he, he's, he's a Harvard student, and he's struggling, so he went and he just did research, 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 and he came up with the idea that this is not talking about him. He wants to be married to a, a, a gay Christian, another guy, right? And he wants to have that one marriage for the rest of his life. And he only wants to have sex. He wants to lose his virginity to that guy. And he wants to have sex with only that guy for the rest of his life. And he's saying that that's biblical. But the problem is, is his argument is coming from omission. The Bible doesn't say that. He's just trying to change out the definition of what he's saying. Because the Bible is very, very clear. Can you go to the next slide before this? Um, it's really clear. If a man lies with a male, as he lies with a woman. It doesn't get any clearer than that. You can't change the definitions out just because you want it to line up with what you think it's going to say. Now, they are compelling. The other argument that Matthew Vine says is, and this is maybe something you've never thought about. Uh, Sang had a revelation last night, yesterday when we were talking about this. But Matthew Vine's big problem is he's saying that if that homosexuality is a sin, right, that means that God has assigned me for the rest of my life to live celibate, not get married, not have someone that I love, not have sex. And he says, I don't believe that God would do that. That's what Matthew Vine says. And it was funny because I asked the group, we were having uh, um, hamburgers and hot dogs, and I asked the group, I'm like, hey, would you be a Christian if you found out that to be a Christian you could, you could not get married and you could not have sex? And the saying was like, no. saying <laughs> 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 was like, no, God wouldn't do that. That would be a bad God. God would not do that. Matthew Vines completely agrees. Matthew Vines completely agrees says God would not do that. God would not subject him just because he has same-sex attraction to, be, to not be married and to be alone for the rest of his life. That's his argument. Now, I do agree that, that that's very, very sad, right? And I have deep compassion because I don't know about you, like when I was growing up, I dreamt about waking up next to a woman, my wife, um, but I didn't know my wife at the time when I was dreaming, okay, when I was dreaming. And, you know, just being like waking up and being like really excited, not just sexually, but like really excited that like I was with somebody and that I was going to die with somebody, you know, hopefully way earlier than she does. And like, you know, just like have, like have, somebody, with, have somebody with me for the rest of, rest of my life. I mean, right? You guys have those feelings, those dreams. Like I just want somebody to know me and, and to love me and all this because you have all these feelings, right? But to, to, to a homosexual, and what we're saying is if homosexuality is sin, then what we're saying is that God is telling them to be celibate, meaning not have sex not get married forever. And that's a terrible, terrible thing. And Matthew Vines could not come to, come to grips with that. But this is the deal. The reason why that argument does not work is because some of you will have major, major tragedy in your life. And that same kind of argument, God would not allow this to happen. That's just not, this is not right. Then some of you will lose your spouse to cancer. You will have kids that are born with leukemia. You will have tragedies and trials in your life. Some of you will lose family members, parents. And if you have that same kind of mentality, you're like, oh, good God wouldn't do that. But the fact of the matter is we live in a, in a world of sin, and sin is not fair. God is fair, and God is more than fair. But because we live in a world of sin, because of our actions, because of sin allowed, and it's changed the world, this is where we are right now. And part of being on earth is to yearn, is to yearn for heaven, to yearn for God, to yearn for everything to be set right. Because we talked about this a, a few months ago. When you, when you see somebody that's di that dies or dying of cancer or whatever, Kadir, I can't believe it. 
You know, when you see somebody that's dying of cancer, right, you know that something is not right. Not just in them, right, but in the world. Like, this is not how we were created. Does that make sense? And so whenever you have something like this, you know it's not that we were created this way, created this way in the sense of when God made man and, man and woman, he did not make us to be filled with sin and broken, right? And thus he's, he brought Christ in to allow us to come back. But it's not going to happen in this life. Some people will, you know, God will miraculously show up, but that doesn't always happen, you know? I think about Paul um, Huang when he was dying of cancer. I came and visited him. We talked in the hospital, and I begged God, God, please, please, please heal this guy. He's 18 years old. Please heal him. And I know, like, Sang, Jungwon, Jojo, um, of course, Grace Huang and Sharon and the G's and Huang, I know they were all praying their guts out. God, please, please, please. But he doesn't always do it. He doesn't always heal. But this is the world. It's, that's, not, that's not something that we can just say, well, God wouldn't do that, because that's not reality. You get what I'm saying? So this is the deal. If you see in Scripture what the Bible says, if you see in the Scripture what, what the Bible says, you have a choice to make. You either have to say, okay, I agree that the Bible is true, and this is what I'm going to live my life in. This is what being a Christian is about. I'm going to follow the Word of God. And you start to accept everything in it. And if there are things that are confusing, you study it, you figure it out. You ask questions, you talk to people more knowledgeable, you read books about it. Right? Or you say, I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm not going to follow the Bible. Because let, let's not be deceived. Don't, don't fall into that trap where you can just pick and choose parts of the Bible like, I agree with this, but I don't agree with this. That's just stupidity. That's all about in your brain. You might as well just not believe it all. I know that seems kind of harsh, but don't read the Bible and just be like, well, I accept this part, but I think this is all false or this is wrong. The Bible is the Bible. Accept it or don't accept it. If you don't accept it, that's okay. I mean, not in the end, but it's okay. That's your choice. But don't pick and choose and pretend that it's not true. So this is the quandary that we're in. If you are a Christian and you choose to believe that the Bible is true, then you have a problem now because all of our society, all of our culture is saying that you are wrong and that you are a bigot and you are a hateful person. Is that true? I think for the most of you, you're not. You don't hate homosexuals. I don't hate homosexuals. In fact, I don't even like calling them homosexuals. Not because, you know, like I want to find another more politically correct term, but I'm not identified by my lifestyle or my sin. Like, what if somebody came up to me and every day they would refuse to use my name and they said, hey, the guitar guy, or the beard guy, or the Hawaiian looking dude, or, or the guy who drives a periwinkle fit? <laughs> right? That's, that's, not, that's not who I am. Am I right? I'm so much more than that. I'm so much more than that. Right? And so we identify people according like, to their, their, their sexual identity. I think that's so limiting, too. And, and this is something that the, homosexual, the LGBT community has to deal with. They have to stop identifying themselves only as their sexual identity because they are not that. Because the deal is this. I'm a heterosexual man. I love my wife. I love to have sex. Okay? But if I get sick one day and I'm no longer allowed to have, uh, not allowed, not able to have sex, or my wife it gets sick and she's no longer able to have sex physically, am I, am I less of a person? No, because I'm so much more than just my sexuality. 
right? Something to think about. Because you will not have sex for the rest of your life. So sex is just not that big of a deal. It is a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not, it's not the big deal, right? And so when you have an LGBT community that's all about identifying themselves as their sexuality because they're fighting for their rights to be sexual in that way, it's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a trap. Anyway, so going back, you have to decide. And I'm not saying you have to decide right now and tell me today, you know, Howard, this is, I'm not, this is not between me and you. This is, a, this is between you and God. Am I going to take the scripture and allow it to shape my life or am I going to make it uh, shape scripture however I want to sh- see fit? And that's, that's a tough one for some of you guys. I know some of you guys are on the border, like you're not sure if you, if you follow Jesus yet, if you believe in Jesus fully, but this is, this is the way it is. We allow scripture to shape our life. Okay, so now, how do we respond? I just talked about a little bit about like LGBT communities identifying people by their sexuality is very, very limited. So we don't want to just do that. So how do we respond? I always go back to this one thing. If I was doing something wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I do a lot of things wrong. If you ask my wife, I'm a sinful person, right? If I was doing something wrong, right? How did God help me get beyond it? How did God help me to realize that it was wrong? What did God do in my life? Was he impatient? Did he scream at me? Did he condemn me? Did he bring people into my life to beat me up? No, he didn't do any of those things. He was patient with me. He didn't draw me into the church by my sin. I didn't come to the church because I was a sinful person. I came to the church because I knew I was missing something. I knew I was broken, but not because I wanted to deal with a certain sin. Right? Just like my friend, when he shared the gospel with those three gay guys in the, in the pub, right? what were they compelled about? What compelled you to, to follow Jesus? They had something, that my friend had something that they desired. I think innately, all of us want to be right with God in some way or form. We want to be right with God. We feel that. Right? I read this statistics, uh, statistic yesterday about um, like 30% of atheists that they interviewed pray. And they're atheists. They don't believe in God, but they still pray. Right? Pray is universal. Praying happens everywhere, all across the world. There's this desire for people to be, to be right with God. So what compelled you to follow Jesus? For me, I knew that God was going to fill something that I was really lacking. And if I was really honest with myself, that, that hole, I needed God to heal that hole, fix that hole, fill that hole, do whatever, because I had this deep ache inside, and I, and I felt like I was completely lost, and I had no idea what was going. And everything I tried in my life didn't help. Right? And so you meet somebody, right, that, that's of homosexual uh, uh, orientation, right? Is the first discussion going to be about his sin or her sin? Hey, you know, the Bible says that. Uh, is that how God did that with us? No. I love my friend's testimony because he just shared, hey, this is where I was. And the person goes, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I'm broken too. I messed up too. I want to hear more about, about this God, I want to hear about Jesus. So if somebody that came in here that was homosexual, how do you think that, that I would treat them? I'd be like, uh, no, you can't come in here, sir. Because I can tell you're wearing a rainbow shirt, and I can tell that you're totally LGBT, so you can't be in here. No, heck no, man. And what I would hope is that there would be a deep compassion on all of our hearts, right, for this person. That we would gather around that person, befriend that person, become friends with that person. 
care about the person, have deep conversation with that person. I think that what the tendency is here, and this is what we have to stop as a church, is that we have this tendency to never go deep. And I, I challenged the college group this on Friday about this, is that we have these like shallow conversations like, oh, I love pho. Oh, you love pho? I love pho too. Oh, cool. All right. All right, see you later. <laughs> you go home, right? Like that, that's, that's the end of your conversation. But you're not having deep conversations. You're not connecting on a deeper level. When somebody of LGBT orientation comes to the Lord, and there are a lot, there are a lot that are Christians. I know that the Holy Spirit, if they're a Christian, I know that the Holy Spirit will start to lead them down that road where he will start to expose sexual immorality. He will start to expose and say, hey, this is, this is wrong, and they will know in their hearts. No one even really has to tell them because they know it all. Every LGBT person that I've ever met or read about, or that they would choose, if they could, not to be LGBT. Nobody wakes up one morning and being like, I, I want to be different than everybody else, just radically different, be ostracized by my family and, and judged and hated and feel like I'm, I'm never going to be right with God. Nobody, nobody wants that. Right? And we have this tendency where, you know, like the right-wing church or the t evangelicals or whoever, they have to be like, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin. They know. They know that Jesus thinks they're in sin. That's probably not, that, not what they need at that point. What they need to know is that, hey, the church accepts me. Not necessarily my lifestyle, but I don't accept a lot of your lifestyles, and you can still come in here. Some of you guys smoke pot. Some of you guys get drunk. Some of you guys mess around with your girlfriend or boyfriend. That's all sin. Some of you guys pirate movies. Some of you guys download illegal mu uh, music. That's all sin. I don't, I don't approve of that lifestyle at all. Some of you guys cheat in, in, in school. Some of you guys treat people like crap. I've seen so how some of you guys treat your parents. You guys suck. But I still love you guys. <laughs> you guys are still welcome to come to our church. Absolutely. Because I know that the Holy Spirit will eventually bring you to that point where, ah, maybe I should stop treating my parents badly. Maybe I stop, I stop being racist. You know, you closet racists. Like we talked about last week. And so how do, we, how do we handle LGBT? When they come in here, we love them. We have deep conversations with them. We wrestle with God with them together. We make them feel like they're not alone because this is what LGBT really, really feels like. If they come back to God and they go to a conservative church, meaning that they believe that the word of God is the word of God, then they will have an ultimatum. Either you follow the word of God and be right with God, but it means you will be abstinent, meaning you will never have sex again for the rest of your life if you can help it. Or you can walk away from God, go to a liberal church where you probably know that they're not really following the Bible and they're just talking about loosey-goosey love. And then live however they want, but deep in their hearts they know they're not living correctly, living right, living the way God wanted them. It's a hard choice. Somebody, I, somebody asked yesterday when, about sex, like if you knew that Christianity meant uh, that you could no longer have sex or uh, get married ever, would you become a Christian? And some of you answered honestly. Some of you are like, no, I couldn't do it. I couldn't follow Jesus. Could you? I'm going to ask you that right now. Could you? If you knew that to become a Christian today, you could no longer have sex or get married, would you become a Christian? Some of you guys are like, I love Jesus, but, but I need a man. <laughs> God, some, one of them was like, I'm a wild stallion. Like, you can't, you can't keep me down. Right? God made me to reproduce, you know. 
which is why my wife and I had five kids, so God made me to reproduce. But, but, there, but, there, needs, but there, needs to be the, there needs to be this deep-seated compassion for those that, that follow Christ and, and are LGBT. Deep, deep, deep compassion saying, hey, you are not alone. There needs to stop being homophobic where the person will fall in love with you. I, you are friends with girls, right? You don't fall in love with every girl that you see, right? That's not, it's not going to be the case, you know? I mean, they might, you know, like there might be some complications, like they have a crush on you or whatever, but if you're heterosexual, then there's nothing they can do about it. You know? But there needs to be a deep-seated compassion. Do you, does that make sense? Now, what do you do about homosexuals that are in our church? Do you lobby against them? You're ruining marriage for the world. People, people are so against gay marriage. And I get it. Okay, I get it. Like, okay, the Bible says, and it's true, the Bible does say, you know, marriage is for a man and a man and a woman and a woman. But they are not Christians. They don't believe in Jesus. Right? Nobody rioted when the Buddhists got married. Did you hear what the Buddhists did? They're getting married. We need to burn down those temples. We need it. When the Hindus got married, we're like, oh, heck no. Not today, my friend. But when, the, when, when gays want to get married, you're just like, oh. I mean, I've heard pastors saying, I'm, I'm resigning because I don't want to ever marry a gay couple. I'm resigning from the pulpit. Oh, I'm going to stop, stop preaching the gospel. I'm going to stop leading a church because I don't want gays to get married. Really? I just want, in a loving way, I just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> Just like, here, just hold still. It'll hurt, but then you'll wake up and be like, oh, Jesus is bigger. Right? Do we need to fight for legislation? Let's make everyone Christian by law. And we hate, like, Muslims. Sharia law. Do you guys know what Sharia law is? We want to put everyone under Sharia law. Like, the Muslims, they want to put everyone under Sharia law, meaning that they have to follow Muslim law. Right? Like, that's going to make everyone Muslim, and the whole world's afraid. If we make Christian legislation in, in, in the American government, it's not going to make everyone Christian. They're just going to hate Christians. And they do hate Christians because we're ridiculous. You know where most of the terrorist attacks have come in the United States soil? In history, the most. You're going to be sad. Christians bombing abortion clinics. Christians bombing abortion clinics. That's where most of the terrorist attacks have come, in, by far, by far. The Christians bombing abortion clinics. Now, do I think abortion is wrong? Absolutely. Do I think it's death? Absolutely. And we could talk about that in another conversation. But I'm not going to go kill people. I'm not going to go blow up buildings. And, and You see what I'm saying? We have to wake up. So as a Christian, what is the proper response for somebody that you meet on the street that's LGBT that's not a part of your church? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you want to come to church? <laughs> Just hang out. Be their friend. Or walk by. You know, you don't have to be like, God hates you. You know, <laughs> carry a sign around. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Don't, don't get wrapped up in all of this nonsense that you see on Facebook. And my, my encouragement to you, some of you guys feel strongly, and some of you guys probably, you know, like maybe totally disagree with me, and that's okay. We can talk about it too more. I'm not, I'm not threatened. Um, I mean, you know, meaning I'm not like arrogant. I'm just saying, like, you know, we could talk about it. It's a, it's a good thing. But don't, don't add to the noise when, on your Facebook posts. You know, don't be like, you know, like, you know, a, you know, this country's falling apart because the gays are getting married. You know, like, don't say stuff like that, okay? Uh, I will make fun of you on Facebook, right? 
So don't, just don't, don't, don't be ignorant and be wise. And, and this is the thing. Some of you guys are very, very opinionated and your friends are very, very opinionated. The question I'd ask is, have you read anything about homosexuality? Have you read either side? Have you, do you know gay Christians that you're having deep conversations with, not just, uh, oh, I'm going to go to the gay pride parade? Like having deep conversations. What do you struggle with? What are you, what are you dealing with? Do you have conversations with homosexuals? Right? Or are you just spouting off what's in, in your brain? Uh, Will Smith had this comment because one of his kids had said something on a talk show host about something stupid about, you know, universalism or, you know, like the, the cosmos and all this stuff. He's like, you know, when I was a kid, Will Smith said this in the talk show, when I was a kid, I was stupid and nobody knew. But now in this day and age, because of social media, I'm stupid and everyone knows I'm stupid. Don't be stupid, at least out loud. Be stupid to yourself and to your friends, right? But not out loud, right? Read books. If you're going to have a really strong opinion about something, earn it. Don't just walk around being like, oh, yeah, I know everything about homosexuality because I am on Facebook. That's stupid. I'm not homosexual. I have no homosexual tendencies. And I read a lot about homosexuality. You know why? Because I am a Christian. And I know what's going on in this world. And I need to know what the Bible says. I need to know what we need to do as the church. And I'm not doing that just because I'm a pastor. If I wasn't a pastor, I would still do it. Right? Some of you are like, okay, I'm not going to have a strong opinion anymore. <laughs> it's too much work. I can't read books. Um, don't, don't do that. Be, be readers, okay? Be, be leaders in your, in, your, in your society. So, okay, so let's review really quick. The Bible says that homosexuality is wrong. All the arguments that state that it's not are weak, are very, very weak arguments. And I'm not saying that out of arrogance. Okay? Number two, homosexuals are just like us. We are screwed up people. We need Jesus. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Right? Christians probably need Jesus more because some of you Christians, I'm not going to say it. Number three, be stupid on the inside, not on the outside. Read books. Right? Right? And then number four, have compassion. Have deep compassion. Meaning like talk to uh, people that in the LGBT community, ask them questions. Don't be threat threatened by them. If they're running around without a shirt on and ha- like a big you know, rainbow flag, just come up to them and be like, hey, can we talk? Just ask questions and talk to them about like, what they struggle with and just be a-, a learner. Don't just be like, okay, well, let me tell you what it says in Leviticus. My youth pastor told me this. Hold on, let me get my notes out. No, forget that. Just talk. Just have a deep conversation with them. Have deep compassion. Pray, offer to pray for them. Right? Say, hey, like, it sounds like you, you really had a hard time. Because when you hear homosexual uh, um, testimonies, it is, it is heartbreaking how their parents and the church has responded to them. Can you imagine, like, one of us in here, I've, I've actually had a student that no longer goes here come to me and says, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Can you imagine what our church would do to that person? I'm not talking about here. I think here we'd probably be understanding. But out there, if, he, he, if this person came out openly gay or open, openly lesbian, what the church would do? In the name of God, what they would do in the name of God. Can you imagine? I can, and it's terrifying. So have deep compassion. And the other thing is, if you, are, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, homosexual tendencies, then please talk to me. I'm not going to try to convert you to heterosexuality. I know that doesn't really necessarily happen all the time, Right? But I do want to talk to you so that you don't feel alone, so you're not walking away shamed. Some of you guys, that uh, you'll meet a lot of people that are struggling with hem- uh, uh, homosexual tendencies, and at the same time, they can't tell anybody because they're so afraid and ashamed. Right? In high school, who has the guts to do that? Right? Some of you guys won't even ask your parents if you can go on the retreat because you're too scared. Let alone tell your parents that you're, you, you, sh- you think you might be gay. 
And so if you're struggling with that, come talk to me. I, w- I am a safe place. I'm not going to judge you. We will talk and have, have conversation. And if you find out that somebody, somebody in here is struggling with, with same-sex attraction, then be their friend. Love them. Pray with them. Tell them. Show them that they're not alone. Remind them that Christ is not like, you're gay? Get out. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is like, yeah, you should see the guy down the street. He's really bad. Oh, you should see, like, you know, like, Howard. He's really messed up, you know? And he still accepts you and still loves you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah? Are we good? And that the Holy Spirit will do the work over time. The Holy Spirit will do the work, right? You don't have to convince somebody that they're sin. If they're in sin, they probably know it. If they don't know it, then you can talk about it and have conversations about it, not re- <coughs> screaming at them, yelling at them, making them feel like a piece of turd, right? Are we good? All right. Well, let me pray for you guys. And then uh, the, um, what do you call it? The um, discussion questions. Share about something in your life that you've done that you're that done wrong and are saddened by. The reason I'm asking you that because a lot of times people uh, get into judgment mode and be like, I judge everybody, but then they, don't forget, they forget all the things that they've done that they've regretted. Number two, how did God treat you in that time? Number three, how does that change the way you treat others? Because a lot of you guys uh, have had been forgiven by a lot, uh, forgiven by God for a lot, and yet you still are judgmental and angry and bitter and, and uh, uncaring towards others. Number four, how would you respond if someone in the LGBT community wanted to know what your thoughts about them, what you thought about them, what you thought about them? This is really important. We talked about this in college group. Have an answer. Know what you want to say. My friend, praise God, he said, like, why would you want to know what I, you know, what I thought? And then number five, pray for each other. That's really important, okay? Pray for one another, okay? Let me pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for our group. God, I just pray that, that today um, we would have a balance, God, of, of truth uh, and compassion uh, because I believe that that's what you do. And if I haven't communicated that clearly enough, God, I just pray that you would instill that in the hearts of every single person here, that there would be deep-seated compassion and a, and a passion for the truth and, and for your word. God, I just thank you so much for the hearts of every single person here, but I also pray that they would have the discipline to do the study, to read, um, to use their brains, and not just accept uh, all the trash they read on Facebook or see on Facebook or the videos or things. God, that they would develop strong opinions that come from your word in, in, in its entirety, not just the, the judge part, but the, but the love part as well. God, I just pray that they would be a bright light in their community everywhere they go and that they would be, like homosexuals and LGBT community would be drawn to our youth group. And I know that's kind of a crazy thing to pray, but, but I thank you so much for giving us this place, this time that we're living in. We want to be real. We want to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Pray for the offering. Pray for the offering. Dear Lord, I just pray that Sunday at Queen's Court Housing about uh, LGBT thing. Uh, I pray that even um, if there's like gay or lesbian people in the church, you'll still love them and treat them like people because we all have sin and stuff. Um, I pray for the offering and I pray for the lunch we're going to eat. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Offering buckets right there and then there's uh, handouts right there. Handouts. Georgia Tech is here, guys. Georgia Tech is here.